Welcome, everybody, to the One to Go show. It is Puka, and I am once again joined by my all-star cast, uh, Ryan Aho. Ryan, how you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing great, man. How you doing? Oh, boy, I'll tell you, fellas, I'm coming off. Uh, uh, I, I feel a little bit naked because I'm, you know, opening deer hunting this weekend here in, in Minnesota, and I, uh, my wife had a doctor's appointment down in the Twin Cities, so we, we drove. We were down there Friday, stayed overnight Saturday, so I have you know, it's Monday of opening week, and I've not seen or smelt or uh, occupied a deer hunting shack yet. So, I'm, like I said, I'm feeling half naked. I'm really excited for this weekend as I'll be doing my annual tour with a couple of buddies, and we, we do some shack hopping. But uh, um, I had a pretty good weekend, but I'm not doing real well. I need, I need to see the bros. I need to see the brothers. I need to get to the shack. So, um, And also joining us is uh, Bert Lehman. Doing? I'm doing good. Uh, trying to stay warm. It's like 12 degrees here. Um, and, uh, tomorrow's a big day cause tomorrow's my wedding anniversary. Well, <laughs> oh, congratulations. You. Good for you. And I've met the missus. Yes, I've you met have. The missus. As a matter of fact, I think I accidentally, I, I think I, in one of my more proud moments, I think I accidentally spilled <laughs> beer on the missus once. So <laughs> send her my okay, regards, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. Well, we will start tonight with the uh, 13th annual Can-Am World Finals. Of course, took place over the weekend. My official numbers are telling me that uh, 69 late models checked in, 53 World of Outlaws sprint cars checked in. You know, of course, uh, the program was washed out on Thursday. Uh, what say you? about the world finals um, well i was surprised by the winner of saturday night show in the late models uh none of us picked jimmy owens but uh he was right there in one and i on the sprint car side of it that must have been a hell of a feature to watch in the for the sprint cars to see who would win the championship that final night with uh, only two points separating the top two drivers yeah, that was pretty incredible, right? Yeah, you know, I, I got to reiterate what he's saying there on the sprint car deal. I mean, when you come down to the final night, separated by just a couple points, there is a lot of drama at stake. And, you know, that just, that just makes the whole storyline that much better and gets the fans that more intense about that race. And, you know, it sounded like it, it was quite an interesting one. It sounds like uh, some spots were swapped during that race and nobody knew how it was going to really pan out till the end so super uh super interesting and it doesn't really matter for me what sport it is i mean when it comes down to the championship i can become a fan of like almost anything but when it comes to sprint car racing late model racing when it comes down to the finals like that man i'm all in and then uh the late models you know i i gotta be honest i'm not surprised you know with jimmy owens winning what makes the late models to me a little bit different is Four of the guys in the sprint cars, they happened to finish in the top five both nights. And there was only one guy in the late models that finished in the late in the top five both nights. And I found that to be quite interesting. And, and uh, that just shows you how much that late model competition is just intense. There's a lot of really good race car drivers out there. Well, let me ask you, was that person Chris Madden? Yep, it was Chris Madden, absolutely. You know, after winning the first night, and then he finished, uh, what did he end up the second night fifth. there? I think he got fifth. Yeah, he was fifth in fifth place. Night. Yep, so yeah, he was the only guy to finish in the top five in both, and, you know, a lot of really, really good race cars. 
Well, you know, and, and that is interesting on the sprint cars. And I think that has a lot to do with the way the sprint cars qualify. And of course, I'm sure you two have been to World of Outlaws sprint car events. And, and sometimes when they're coming out for the dash and they're, you know, after they time and, you know, I, I guess I haven't been to a World of Outlaws sprint car event in, whew, I guess maybe it's close to 10 years, but you know, I, I could never keep track of why they were coming out and who was going to come out, you know, and I, I think that might have a lot to do with it as far as, I, you know, the, the tour guys or maybe it's the timed guy, faster timing guys, maybe they have a bigger advantage in the sprint car series versus the late model series. Like I said, I don't know for sure, but I just know that, you know, it seemed like a just a crapshoot as far as who was coming on the track at any time. Have you, any of you paid attention to any of that? I'm not real familiar with how they qualify for, you know, for their position. So I, I really can't speak to that. I don't, I don't think it has much to do with qualifying. I think there's always been a big gap in the sprint cars, right? I think, you know, you look back and, and look at, you know, you just take Steve Kinzer. The guy's got like 690 feature wins or something. It's like some crazy number like that. And there's always been like that, the couple three that are like really, really dominant. And then everybody else. Right. And there was a couple years there where it seemed like there was a lot more competition in the sprint cars, but, but it's a big gap in my opinion, between the, the haves and the have not, so to speak. And in late model racing, I just think that there's a whole lot more people with, with the best equipment and, you know, a lot more, a lot more of them in the late models, which makes it so much more even. Sure. Well, yeah. Well, let's 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 uh, swing back to the Can-Am here. So, yeah, we uh, Friday night. You know, some of my observations. Obviously, they said it was cold. Uh, Madden took that that win on Friday night with a, a pretty aggressive move. I don't know if you two saw it uh, uh, on Davenport on a restart. Uh, shots. He kind of liked it upstairs. You know, when he was up there, but you know, gravel was just a little too much, and uh, you know, obviously held on for that win. Um, and then Saturday, you know, setting up that dramatic, like you said, two point spread. Um, and of course, the 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 winning uh, the title was won by four mm-hmm. points, you know, by Brad Sweet. But you know, Sweet and Shot both won the heats, um, you know, which which made it just, uh, you know, set up the like you said, Ryan, the like the ultimate drama. You know, it's like what more could you ask for, you know? Um, and then Donnie actually did pass Sweet at one point in the feature, but then Sweet got him back. So um, you know, as as the you know. World of Outlaws of promoting an event, you know, they really couldn't have asked for anything better, uh, you know, as far as that that title coming down. I, you know, I don't think it ever has. You know, I, I think we would have heard, you know, through all the media coverage that, you know, this is like 1999 or this was like 2009 when we had a similar battle. I didn't hear any references. I think this was probably the best battle that they've ever seen. So um, and then, of course, Bishop, you know, with that DNF. On Saturday night, you know, I can't believe, you know, we'll, we'll talk about our picks in just a second here, but, you know, none of us picked the DNF, you know, after all that consistency that he put in all year, you know, it's, it's kind of surprising that one of us just didn't say, hey, you know, he's got 39 top 10s out of 41 races, it's time for him to have a DNF, but um, I think I was surprised, but at the same time, I wasn't shocked that finally the guy kind of showed that he was human. I remember you kind of picked uh, Brad Sweet to have that DNF, actually. And, uh, you know, I, I so, so you kind of called out the DNF, but it was in the wrong class, the wrong driver. Right color, though. I mean, there's some blue in both cars. So so you, you must have been on to something there. But, yeah, you're exactly right. And that's what, that was, that's what makes racing interesting is anything can happen. And, 
you know, fortunately for him, the championship was decided already, you know, and, and uh, he was just out there. It was another race. It wasn't a big, you know, nobody likes to DNF, but it really wasn't a big deal in the grand scheme of things for him. Anything to add there? Well, Bert? I just wanted to add, you know, from a fan's perspective, uh, there's nothing better than watching uh, the championship go to the final race of the season, you know, and to the final laps. Uh, it seems like this day and age, especially in a local racing scene, uh, you know, track championships don't seem to be as important as they used to be. So it was refreshing to see a championship go down to the final checkered flag. Yeah, 72 events. And, of course, Ryan, you've, you've raced for, for, for local point, point titles, national point titles. You've been in this situation, but... You know, and it's and maybe I just haven't paid enough attention to it. But you know, after 72 events that that Sweeten shots both, of course, entered, you know, it comes down to a four point margin. You know, it's just incredible if you look at because then you go all the way to fourth, and it's a 346 point margin. You know, so you know, but but Donnie and 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 Brad four points after 72 races. I mean, is that one of those ones, Ryan, where you think shots might've laid down for bed that night and kind of looked back and thought, well, there was that one night if I would have done this and one night, if I would have just got that one more spot. Absolutely. You know, and, and you look back at shots this season, it's quite interesting, really. You know, he had some big slumps. I mean, he, he barely got into the double digits on the wins this year. And I mean, for several years in a row, he had the most wins and, and then he had like a two month stretch where he didn't even win a feature then he won one. Then he had like another month again where he didn't win. So it was just very uncharacteristic for him. And he got hot at the end of the year. He started coming on towards the end of the year. And and when when a person looks back, you know, I, I remember losing a national championship myself by just a couple points. He'll remember this more than he remembers the wins, right? He'll be, he'll, it'll just, it'll haunt him. He'll be like, oh man, you know, one extra night, just one extra win, or maybe he tried something one night, or maybe just we're talking literally one or two positions would have just determined that, uh, the championship for him. I promise, I promise you, this will not be out of his mind probably ever, right? It just never <laughs> goes away because in his mind he's thinking, you know, he he had a legitimate shot to go down there and win. And what's interesting too is I think this was the first year, you know, in a long time that he got off to such a slow start. I think 2013, you know, was the, um, I think it was the last time that he didn't win down in Florida at the beginning of the year. And he didn't, he started out the season just uncharacteristically off, off his pace of what you, you know, he's on a great pace for everybody else's, you know, terms, but just for his own, he was just off at the beginning. And I don't know what that attributed to. I really don't. Um, but at the end of the year, he sure came on and I, He'll make his presence known again next year. I can promise you that. Bert? I just wanted to add, uh, I mean, you mentioned, you know, 72 events and it, it's separated by four points. I mean, you look at the stats for both sweet and shots. Um, both of them finished in the top 10, 65 out of 72 races. Um, sweet had incredible 47 top fives where shots had 48 top fives. So, they were right there. The big difference was, as Ryan said, is the wins. Sweet had 16, and Shots only had 11. Yeah, an incredible season. And, and uh, you know, I know that 
Tony Stewart came out with that Ford racing engine. I think that was in August-ish, Ryan, and that may have coincided with some of those wins, but they had some sort of a new engine package that, that came out. I think it was right after the Knoxville Nationals, which is like the weekend after the USA Nationals. So you had Knoxville Nationals on August 10th-ish, and I believe there was a new engine. It was around that time. It wasn't in May. It wasn't in June. So it wasn't early in the year. It was later in the year, and maybe that's what – what contributed to some of, of Shots's Shots's wins? Yeah, he and you know let's let's go ahead. Yeah, I was say yeah, he sure got fast when he got that Ford in there, and you know I believe he he won the Knoxville Nationals. He mentioned that ten times, and just to show how his season went, he got ninth at that this year. You know, which is I mean just uncharacteristic of, of Donnie Shots to kind of just miss the mark on a few of them shows and. We're talking just the difference of one night over 72 could have been could have been it. Now, with that said, you know, Sweet obviously probably had some nights in there that he wants back as well, so it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, like I said, you know, hats off to both of them, to Brad Sweet on the championship, Donnie, for making it a great fight, uh, you know, going after the 11th title, but obviously that's going to have to wait for 2024 him. Um, and let's move on to our other champion, which was Bishop. Uh, like I said, uh, I DNF on Saturday night, but he already had the points locked up. I was kind of looking, doing some research. So his total earnings, uh, just on the Woo circuit, $316,625. So he was he had more than double for the second place uh, money guy, which was um, Shane Clanton at 143. And the other interesting fact I found out was that Bishop was also the number one Lucas money earner for the year. And, of course, I think that attributed a lot to the Dirt Million. Bert, do you recall what that Dirt Million paid this year? I do not recall. Okay. so But he was the number one earner on both circuits. So um, definitely a dream year for Bishop. You know, obviously he couldn't get that 19th win, which would have put him in the record books. You know, he's tied now with Josh Richards at 18 uh, for a season, you know, or a season high wins on the, on the uh, Wu Tour. But, um, again, I'll have to wait for 2020, but um, congrats to, like I said, to both Brad Sweet and Bishop. And so we, you know, we'll kind of move on to some of our picks. And it's a good thing that we don't, you know, the three of us don't live in Vegas, uh, making a, <laughs> a living gambling because, uh, you know, on Friday night it looks, you know, really Ryan, you were you were kind of the closest uh, because you did, you know, pick Madden on a different night, and of course he won on on Saturday, but he won on Friday night, and you were saying. You know, watch that dark David Gravel uh, for a dark horse. And, of course, he, you know, he swept the weekend. And, you know, Saturday night, it didn't look like really any of us were close. Like I said, Owens um, was there. You know, I had Bishop. Uh, Bert had Bishop. You know, he was, you know, obviously a DNF. I mean, Madden did place in the top five, though. So so kudos to you again, Ryan. Um, I got, and then I got to be point, honest, I, I was a little closer than I thought, too, because I also picked Ricky Weiss as the dark horse. And uh, he come home with a very solid second on that on on night number two there. So I picked him, and uh, I tell you what, that that forty one car, David Gravel. I just out of curiosity, I don't have it in front of me. How many points did he finish out of the championship hunt? Because he was he actually incidentally finished third in the World of Outlaw Sprint Car Series. And uh, I tell you what, look for him to also be really strong next year in that forty one car. He actually finished 82 points out. He actually had one more win than Shots did. Yeah, he had a wow. very, very strong season. In fact, I think he won a bunch of them right at the end of the year. So he he ended the season very, very strong. 
And, uh, you know, that I believe that was his first year in that 41, wasn't it? Because wasn't it Jason Johnson passed away, was it two years ago? No, I think it was just last year, right? Was it that, was last, that was last year. That was last year. Yeah. So yeah. That, that yeah. was last, that was last year. year. So this was his first year in that in that ride. So, you know, getting familiar with that, with that whole new program, that's going to be an interesting three-way battle there next year, I believe. And then that fifth-place driver um, in the sprint cars also ran well. So, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. We had some fun picks there, and it doesn't seem like we can pick them really well. I'm, I'm glad we're not in Vegas. You're right on there. <laughs> well, and, you know, I mean, we did do a little jockeying with the points, too, and, and you know, that did change a lot. You know, going into the, uh, the weekend, you know, we knew Bishop had the title as far as the late models. Uh, Chase Youngins was in second, and I was saying, ah, man, you know, I, I hope for the guy because I know he's been loyal to the tour He's been around, uh, you know, he was in the runner-up spot. He ended up finishing fourth. Uh, Shane Clanton vault, Shane Clanton, excuse me, vaulted from fourth to second, you know, which is a $60,000 payday for that second place uh, finish. And then Ricky moved from fifth to third, which I was, I, I had called him moving from fifth to second. But um, so Ricky had, you know, moved up and then Lanigan was the big loser where he, you know, he was uh, third and dropped all the way back to fifth. So the, the, the points ended up Shepard, Clanton, Weiss, Youngens, and Lanigan. And like I said, they're the uh, was kind of substantial with, with 100,000, 60,000, 30,000 for third. So, um, or 40,000 for third, excuse me. So, um, you know, that, like I said, this was a big weekend uh, to pad the pocketbook. And, um, you know, unfortunately for young ends and, and Lanigan, it didn't work out. But for Clanton and uh, and Weiss, they were they left smiling. So speaking of Weiss, we can kind of transition into our buddy Ricky. You know, obviously he's got somewhat local roots. Uh, he's been a, a national many many time national champion. Last year's uh, 2018 was Oda national champion. I think he's got five or so national titles uh, under his belt. And so we just kind of wanted to hone in on Ricky and 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 just all of his success success and. And uh, Bert, you know what? What can you tell us about Ricky White? Well, you you said that you thought he had five national champions, and he does. He's won the Minnesota National Championship five times. Uh, first time was in 2010, then 2011, then 2014, 2015, and 2018. So it's nice to see a driver with somewhat local roots having this type of success uh, on the national scene, and. I mean, he's so young yet that I can see continued success for him in the future. And here's a little-known tid- tidbit that I don't know if you know, but he has a feature win at Shano Speedway during a weekly show. <laughs> oh, really? No, I would not have known that. When was uh, that? Three or four years ago. He was traveling. I do. He was remember- traveling around a little Go bit ahead. racing, and it, it was shortly after Shano Speedway uh, dropped the Wasota sanction, and they they went with their own rules. So um, late models with aluminum motors can can race if they put a restrictor plate on. Uh, so he showed up a few times at Shano Speedway to race. And I remember a night in Hibbing where I remember when Jeff Provenzino was was running for the national points and boy this must have been 12 ish 2012 ish and he did show up in Hibbing one night I don't think he had ever seen the track and 
he, you know, he came out and he started towards the front in the feature. And he was one of those guys where he went hipping. Everyone was kind of on the bottom that night. He went one car length up to the north and then he just walked around everyone and spanked everyone. And, um, yeah, so that was the same thing uh, with Hibbing. He's got, I think, one win, one and only win, and I, I don't think I've seen him back since that time. So, uh, Ryan, what uh, what can you tell us about Ricky? I tell you what, I, I Bert's right on the money. Ricky Weiss is absolutely going to make his presence known in 2020. Um, he, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe he won a feature on this no, year. He, but he, had he did not. seconds. And boy, he ran extremely well. And he there, I know there was a few races during the year where him and Bishop were just battling for the win. And uh, I tell you that that gentleman, he actually as a rookie had the highest finishing position in the points out of any rookie in the history of the world of all our late models with that third place finish. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But you know, like they say, you know, most guys when they're going going for rookie of the year. Man, they're just hoping to get a top five or two, sneak into the top ten. He was a contender all the time. I mean, he ran extremely well, and I'm I'm gonna put him. He's my dark horse prediction to win it all in 2020. You can put that down, Ricky Weiss, 2020 World of Outlaw Late Model Champ. Oh, that would be something. However, I've got some news. So I was digging through some interviews from this weekend. And they asked him, it must have been a dirt on dirt interview, because I don't know if he would have said this to the Wu guy, but he said he was unsure at this point of his plans for next year. So um, he said, of course, they're looking for support. They're trying to chase down a sponsor. So that left me to thinking, well, is he just going to pick and choose and maybe do some of the big shows? You know, is he going to stay a little closer to home and just dominate? I don't think that's very likely at his age. I think he's really trying to step up his program. Um, or, of course, there's always that thought, is he going to try and flip-flop to the Lucas? It seems like this time of year, them late model guys kind of like to play that politics deal a little bit, right? You know, like you just never know which direction they're going to go. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I think it'd be quite interesting to see him go to the Lucas. I, I think the Lucas series got maybe just a little tougher competition sometimes. But uh, with that said, you know, both of them are quality. And, you know, Ricky Weiss, if he runs that World of Outlaws, I, I guess I hadn't heard that interview. But if he runs that World of Outlaws, he's going to be a force. But I think he's going to be a force not only on the points deal, but look at some of these crown jewel races for 2020. I tell you, Ricky, Ricky's really got her going on. 31 years old, and he's, he's just getting into his prime. Uh, Anything to add? I just wanted to add that unless it's a funding issue, I would have a hard time believing that um, he would, you know, just race local races. I think he's shown his talent this year, and as long as he has the funding, he has to race one of the the two series, or or at least at the very least, hit all the crown jewels. Um, right. So. Yeah, and that's you know you had brought up. You know, on the last episode, Bert, about Daryl Lanigan, you know, moving over. And, you know, he ended up with $125,000 in earnings, you know, for a fifth-place finish. And I think that probably padded the checkbook a lot more than it did on the on the uh, Lucas series. And you have another couple uh, interesting tidbits is, you know, uh, Madden ended up 11th in points. But, of course, with that USA Nationals victory, he ended up with 112000 So he ended up in, like, you know, the, the top seven in pay, but he was 11th overall. And then there was someone else. I was looking through this. I kind of stuck out. I think it was T Mac. 
kind of stuck out. Where is T Mac? Well, I can't find it on the chart. No, but as far as is earnings, T Mac, you know, he was way down. Oh, yeah, 60,000. So, yeah, 60,000. He finished 28th, but you can see that, you know, 60,000 money wise, he's a top 10 guy. But um, so I guess that's one thing that, you know, we, Ricky's going to have to kind of weigh is, is looking at uh, competition and, and strength of schedule versus, you know, how much money he can make. So, and another guy with, with, you know, of course, ties to the area, you know, Donnie shots. I remember seeing Donnie shots come to Hibbing back in 1996, rolled in the heat race, uh, you know, started in, started in the back. He said, I think he still ended up in the top five. And every time I see him, I, I, you know, he remembers it because I bring it up, say I'm from Hibbing. I remember the time he came there and rolled over. And again, I think just like Ricky, they may have been the only time. Oh no, he did race at the sprint special they had back in with 2013 or 14 there, Ryan. But um, so what, uh, and of course, the coolest thing about Donnie Schatz is, you know, he jumps in a late model once in a while. And, you know, that's the coolest thing in my opinion. But Ryan, uh, Donnie Schatz, you know, what say you? You know, Donnie Schatz, you know, the Minot Missile, you know, that, that gentleman, like you said, he's so versatile. You know, not many of the sprint car guys ever jump into anything else. You know, primarily they, they stick to the open wheels. And what's interesting about him, I went to Cedar Lake a couple of years ago for the World of Outlaw show. And, you know, all the sprint car guys typically back it in. They're driving off the right rear. And I watch shots. He's driving shots, driving around the track like a late model driver, just straight and smooth. And I'm like, man, he'd be good if he was in a late model or a mod. And whatever he's in, that guy is extremely talented. And uh, he won the 1996 Wasota uh, Championship before he made the switch and started running with the World of Outlaws. I believe he's won that 10 times. And just a... Uh, you know, just a great pedigree. You know, he's been around racing forever. I know his dad took a took a stint at running the track up in Fargo. Um, very involved, and he actually runs. He really supports the NLRA Late Model Series out of Grand Forks. I believe uh, Tom Corcoran and Brad Sang are heavily involved. Brad might be the president. I can't remember. But uh, Donnie, every chance he gets when he comes up that direction, it's fun because whatever Thursday shows going on before the World of Outlaws up in Grand Forks. He's like, hey, where can I jump in a late model? So it's it's really cool. Obviously, he's phenomenal in a sprint car, but uh, you know, it's really cool getting to see him in a late model because he runs extremely well in that too. He doesn't just go out and be a field filler. He runs very well, and he's a contender in anything he gets in. So um, hats off to a great season. Come up just a little bit short this year, but uh, he'll be right back in the swing of things for next year. Bert, you had a chance to talk to Donnie. Yeah, I had a chance to interview him uh, this past summer. Uh, he was racing his late model at 141 Speedway uh, at, at a Dirt King show. And uh, I, it was funny because I asked him if he, if he had talked to any of the local drivers to, you know, pick their brains about setup and that sort of thing. And he said, no, he said, I, I'm doing it the same way as when I race a sprint car. When I go to a track, I try to figure it out myself. And then when I go out on a track, I'll see if it works or not. So I, I thought I thought that was interesting, uh, especially since like the year before the Lucas Oil Late Model Series raced at 141 Speedway, and I was hanging around uh, T Max trailer, and he was talking to some other drivers, and then they were saying, "Well, who's the local driver we can talk to here?" And they're trying to say a name. They go, "I think it starts with A." And I said, "You mean?" Anvilink? Yeah, that's it. So then they, they went by Avalink's trailer. So I thought that was cool. You know, Shot just tried, you know, he tries to do it on his own. And I asked him why he was racing at 141 with the Dirt Kings. 
And somebody who helps prepare his equipment is actually from Sheboygan, Wisconsin, which is only which is less than an hour away from 141 Speedway. So that was why he was there. Ah, interesting. Okay. So, yeah, that, I mean, like I said, it, it's cool to see him jump in there. I've seen some interviews with him myself, and I know the one thing that he consistently says, and I don't know if he said this to you, Bert, but he talks a lot about the braking and, and how it's so different than – you know, a sprint car, and I, I don't know how or why that would be. Ron, you're the race car driver, but, you know, he, he, he I've heard three or four interviews, and that's what he said. He says, well, these things are different. They're heavier. You know, we can't cheat as much, he says, because there's no wing, and he's, he talks about the braking. Would you have any insight into what he might be touching on there? Well, I've never driven a sprint car, but I've driven a late model, and, and you're on the brakes all the way around the racetrack, which is which is interesting, right? because you'd think you'd be not on the brakes at all. But they're, you, the late model guys, they trail brake a lot. So they're on the gas with the right foot, brake with the left front. That keeps that car linked up, and it holds the traction in the car. So the people that are really good at doing that, even in the modifieds, you know, that's a big advantage. Now, I don't believe that's how it works in a sprint car because they don't get up on the left rear. Those things are pretty flat. They're driving off the right rear. So my assumption would be, you know, totally different theory getting into the corner on, on on the brakes or off the brakes. And I know in a sprint car, it's as simple as just dumping the throttle and the cars rotate. They got so much stagger in them. It's, it's two completely different animals. But what's interesting is the way that Shots drives, he keeps that car very straight and underneath them in both of them. So, again, that just, that's just a testament to his ability in a race car. All right, Ryan Aho, we're going to stick with you. It wasn't just a big weekend in North Carolina. It was also a big weekend in St. Cloud, Minnesota, where Wazota celebrated its champions, had the banquet. But more importantly for tonight's conversation, it was the 2019 Wazota Rules Meeting. So, Ryan Ayo, what did we learn for 2020 that did or did not happen at the 2019 Rules Meeting? Man, I tell you what, I'm I'm going to take one quick thing I want to add on, on North Carolina before I jump onto the Wasota deal. <laughs> um, incidentally, Bishop did get his 19th win. It may have not have been in the race car, but at the banquet, I believe last night, he proposed to his girlfriend and got engaged. So that's a big, big win for Bishop right there. So I just want to give a shout out to him on the recent engagement. Wow. Um, so, so that might have been maybe playing on his mind over the weekend, too. I'm sure he had kind of had that plan. He's probably thinking about that just a little bit. And uh, I guess I'm lying. He's a race car driver. You know, put the helmet on, you forget about everything. So, But, yeah, to get into, to get into um, St. Cloud, they have the national, the national banquet there. They recognize all the championships. And they also had the rules meetings there. And, you know, I actually had the – I was invited by a, a multiple different tracks. Hey, why don't you come down with us and represent us? And, and I've been to those meetings, and I'm like, there is no way on God's green earth that I want to go, like, beat my head against the wall for that long. And, you know, the, not a lot of changes. See, Wasota has a rules freeze in right now, um, and a, it's a multi-year rules freeze where they're not allowed to make any changes. And something really, really interesting happened. There was one rule change that I think is phenomenal, a safety rule, um, they got rid of wheel covers on the left side of race cars. And that's a really good deal because a lot of times them things fly off like a Frisbee. I've seen them go up into the stands. People get hurt. They're not real safe. And if nobody has them, then it's not an advantage to anybody. So I'm really glad to see 
with Soda stepping up on the side of safety, getting rid of the wheel covers on the left side of the cars, I think that's a, a great decision that they made. Now we're going to get to a poor decision, uh, perhaps, that this may be an ugly deal moving forward. Um, there was some drama, you know, in the street stock class towards the end of the year with Soda actually – you know, looking out for the drivers, in, in all honesty, you know, everything they do, they, they really do want to make racing better. They decided to go ahead and create a spec shock rule for the Wasota Street Stocks. And, you know, how they did it, you know, that that can be debated. I, I don't feel like they did it right. See, they, had a, they went out right away. They signed a deal with AFCO, and they said, hey, this is the shock we're going to use. They did a little bit of testing. They had some drivers on it. But, man, a lot of drivers said, hey, this shock is not good. It's it's overpriced. It's not as good a quality. There's a smaller shaft, so on and so forth. And there was a lot, a lot of drama. I mean, a lot of street stock guys, uh, they spoke up. They called their promoters. The promoters got heavily involved. And, and the Wasota board, honestly, wouldn't listen, right? So they get to the – now, keep in mind that they signed a contract, a multi-year contract for – AFCO to actually go ahead and start producing these shocks, and that was going to be the rule moving forward. They get to the meeting, and it was like World War III between the promoters and, and the Wasota board, and at one point, the promoters actually kicked the board right out of the meeting and says, we need to talk amongst ourselves. Like, there was a lot of tension, <laughs> and they come back in and they made them get out the bylaws, and they looked back at the bylaws, and they realized that, uh-oh, they didn't go through the right procedure to put this rule into effect. So they had a re-vote where the promoters got to vote. Now, only the tracks that have street stocks get to vote on street stock rules, but this is a big deal. And they voted to not um, have that spec shock, right? Now, the problem lies in it would have been super easy if they wouldn't have signed a contract. But now they got a contract with AFCO that hopefully they can do some really smooth talking to get themselves out of the contract. See, AFCO and Speedway Motors are both big sponsors of Wasota, and, you know, it's just a bad deal. So hopefully they can work this deal out, but if that's gotten into the production phase, there might be some compensation um, going towards AFCO from Wasota because of this mistake. And, you know, i got to be honest, you know, that, that leads me to thinking – about just sanctioning bodies in general. Now, obviously, I've raced with Wasota, I guess, my whole adult life. I, ever since I got into racing, I've been in Wasota. And, you know, sanctioning bodies when Wasota first came aboard, you know, way back in the 80s, it was amazing. I mean, it was great because all the tracks had different rules everywhere up here. You'd go to a different track, you'd have different rules everywhere. Wasota came on board. Next thing you know, we got 50-some tracks in Wasota. You can race multiple places, don't have to change your car. It was great. But then the way that things got ran, it's like, are they doing things, are they are they making racing better or worse, right? I, that's, that's a question i got to ask because they're making decisions that doesn't really, you know, it's not benefiting the sport. And I asked a lot of promoters, I'm like, it doesn't matter what sanctioning body, what benefit is that sanctioning body to you? See, back in the day when there was 50 tracks, they said car count, uniform rules, so on and so forth. But now, in 2019, in our part of the country, it has gotten back to what it was when, before Wasota came. Now we have Wasota, we have UMP, we have USRA, we have IMCA, we have NASCAR, we have non-sanctioned tracks. We have, now we're, we're, we have a big mess all over again, all over the place with 
it's just a complete divide, and that's not good for racing. See, and I, I saw something earlier in the year that Kenny Wallace, he did a Facebook Live, and he says, these, these sanctioning bodies just need to wake up, right? And they need to make it so the rules are the same. If you take a late model, let's just make it so the late models are the same all around the country. We don't need seven sets of rules. If it's a modified, we don't need seven, eight, nine sets of rules for a modified. Let's make one rule. And I think sometimes the board, the promoters, people – we all got pride. We all got ego. We all want to be right. But at the end of the day, people got to put that to the side and have some vision as to how can we make the sport better? Because let's be honest, it's not the rules they need to be worrying about. They need to be worrying about putting butts in seats. And that's not happening all the way from NASCAR down to grass foot, grassroots racing. That is simply not happening. So they need to quit nitpicking on all this nonsense and work on making the sport better, growing the sport, getting more people involved, and making it fun. And that's that's what sanctioning bodies should be focusing on right now, and I don't think they are. Bert, anything to add on track promotion? Um, well, I mean, I agree with Ryan about uh, uniform rules. Um, I mean, in the eastern part of the state, uh, other than late models, it's all IM- IMCA here. And, I mean, all the tracks are pretty much IMCA, so, you know, a modified driver has a has a wide variety of tracks to choose from, and in honesty, I think that's a an issue for the late models on the eastern part of Wisconsin. Is none of the top modified drivers want to jump up to a late model because you can only race at two tracks in eastern Wisconsin, and then you can follow the Dirt King series. But if you race, if you stay with the IMCA modified, you can race all over the place, all over the country. So yeah, I mean rules are are a big are a big issue that uh, sanctioning bodies and promoters need to sit down and figure out. Ryan, what was the status of the, uh, the you know B late model or crate late model? Did did no progress there? And the reason I'm asking yeah, here, that is, oh go ahead, let, let you go ahead first. Yeah, here, here's what happened there. Yeah, here's what happened there. So there's there's several tracks that have have brought that class on board, right? Um, Fergus Falls, um, I believe Montevideo has them, Cedar Lake has them. You know, they're not with Soda, of course, but there's, there's some tracks starting to get that class involved. Now, again, I'm, I'm going to start by saying this. Man, I just, there's too many classes already. We, the, the, all around the country that when they have crate late models, they don't have a class called Super Stocks, which with Soda has, but I'm here to tell you that as soon as they bring in the crate late models, the Super Stocks are going to die right? The pie is only so big, okay? But here's what happened. Wissota actually took some time. They drew up a set of what they would consider rules, Wissota rules for the crate late model class, and they brought it up, and, and there's a handful of tracks there that already have this class, and they asked them straight out, you know, we're considering sanctioning this class, and those tracks immediately, I mean, they shot it down. They said, take it off the table. We don't want to sanction the crate late models. We want to keep it simple. We want to keep it non-sanctioned, which I found very interesting. So it never even went to a vote um, for for the tracks to vote it in or out. The tracks that already had them said, hey, we don't even want to go down that road. Let's let's just keep it non-sanctioned. Okay, because the reason I ask about that is because I did see a headline breaking just a couple of hours ago that a a track in Wisconsin that was – 
Um, we can talk about uh, off air on this because I don't know <laughs> if it's official, but they were, they kind of came up with, Hey, we're going to do this like B late model and you can use this crate engine or you can use a B mod engine, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there's USRA B mods. There's, I think out in your area, you know, are you talking, where? are you talking about Eagle river? Eagle river. Exactly. Yeah. Did yeah. you see that Bert? Yeah, I got the yeah, I got so, the press release. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you know, the, so they're not going to be US USRA, and they're not going to be Wazoda if Wazoda had already implemented. Obviously, they haven't. But you know, right. and and I know you you have some set of rules out there, Bert, where you know you can run a Wazoda type car, you can run a uh, uh, you know an aluminum motor car, you can run a crate type car, and they're all competitive. So you've got your set of rules. Now Eagle's going to have their set of rules. USARA is their set of rules. So just getting back to what you said, Ryan. You know, this pie is just being, you know, I mean, the, the slice that we're going to get on, on Thanksgiving of that pumpkin pie is going to be one bite. <laughs> I, wow. I got to be honest with you. I got myself in a little bit of trouble, guys, um, because right before I jumped onto this, onto the podcast here with you guys, um, I noticed that the Superior Speedway, Troy Powers puts together a great show, the Twin 25s up there, um, Superior, Wisconsin, I believe this year is July 31st. And it's a great event uh, for Wasota Late Models. But I saw a short little video. They're actually going to have crate late models at that as well, kind of as a support class. So I put a little gif on there like, like, oh, boy, here we go, right? And I got a text message from Troy as we're sitting on here. He goes, he goes uh, are you, are, is there something wrong or whatever? So I'm going to have to have a conversation with Troy because he's probably going to be a little upset with me. But, you know, my, my point in that whole deal is I knew that that class was coming north, right? And eventually that was going to happen. And, and Troy loves late models. He does a lot for the sport, a lot for the class. He's passionate about late model racing. And myself, I'm looking at it from the other side going, oh, my goodness. As soon as we bring that class in, now now people are going to get a little taste of it. And they're going like, to be like, oh, maybe we should have this at our track. And, start. and it's just kind of the beginning of something. And I just personally, on a personal side, I really don't want to see that class, you know, come into the, the northern Minnesota northern wisconsin area because again i believe we have too many classes so seeing it come in i mean if it's just for one show and it's gone that that's fine but man i just i just see the writing on the wall by just introducing them to the area i I, i'm nervous about that let's just put it that way sure bert anything to add i just wanted to piggyback on to that thought about too many classes i agree there are too many classes and along with there being too many classes there are too many classes where the cars look the same. I mean, you have your B mods and your A mods, and yeah, one has a spoiler, one doesn't have a spoiler. Um, you know, but from a fan's perspective, they're confused. You know, especially a casual fan or somebody who's there for the first time, it's like, how is this division different than these other divisions? I mean, if you're a diehard race fan, you're going to know. But sure. by having so many classes where they where the cars appear the same, just confused as a casual fan boy you are absolutely correct yeah i could yeah i yeah i couldn't agree more i could not agree more that it's like these guys were just out here why are we you know why do we have this long break and misted the track and here we are with the same class you know it just i i i completely agree touch on that just to touch on that rog we talked about this the other day 
is that's where the focus needs to be. The focus doesn't need to be pleasing the people that are already race fans. They're coming regardless, right? The focus needs to be on getting new people to the track that haven't already been there, and they're going to be all kinds of confused. And just an example, I went to a track in Illinois here a couple times this year, and the, the sound system was non-existent. And I'm not going to mention the track. Hopefully they get it fixed. But I was so confused because they had all kinds of different races going on. Turns out they were trophy dashes. So for, if they don't have a good sound system, if they don't have a good way of communicating to the fans what's going on, people are going to be super confused by just too many classes that look exactly the same. Bert's right on the money. Absolutely. Well, fellas, in the name of time, we got to move on to the last lap here as we're pushing the clock, as always. Uh, just a few tidbits from the week here. Uh, you may have seen, you know, as part of the news on the weekend here, Randy Sweet, who's credited with the rack and pinion steering invention, uh, died on Friday at age 72. Um, of course, he's also teamed up with Scott Bloomquist over the last five years to produce the Sweet Bloomquist race car. Uh, Ryan, I know what a race car is, but I have no idea what a rack and pinion is. Would you? Can you enlighten me? <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff right there. You should run for the Wasota board. You can make rules just like them. <laughs> I'm the perfect guy. Right, right. No, what rack and pinion is, you know, some cars, like a lot of race cars, like modified and so on, they got steering boxes. So your steering shaft goes down to a steering box and, you know, all your steering components hooked to that. Rack and pinion, basically all the street cars nowadays have rack and pinion steering. And it's basically takes place in the steering box so the steering shaft goes to that and the tie rods that that actually go to the spindle to turn the tires hook to the rack and pinion so he was heavily involved with not only rack and pinions but they had steering boxes lots of different components and and i use their products um very good product i mean sweet manufacturing puts out some very high quality stuff and i swore by it and uh yeah randy sweet absolute icon in the sport in a lot of different uh in a lot of different realms and, you know, sad to see him go. And, you know, he, he really built a legacy there with all that he's done. Yeah. And the other big news, Roger Fenske, the billionaire, uh, this is last week bought Indianapolis motor speedway and the Indy car series. Bert, did you happen to catch any of that? I didn't follow it real close. I saw that he bought, bought all that and it's going to be interesting to see uh, what transpires from now uh, in, and into the future regarding that. Yeah, another icon in the sport. And of course, you know, being a billionaire, he's got the resources to really grow the thing. And I know he said that he wants to keep NASCAR there. He wants to grow Indy there. He wants to grow the track. I guess they haven't been selling out like they used to. Um, but he said that uh, he's got ambitious plans at age 82, um, you know, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway and to grow the IndyCar series. And and from some of the articles I read, it sounds like, you know, he loves going to his NASCAR races, especially when he's in the hunt and, and he's got some drivers that are winning. But I guess, you know, he's really got a jump in his step when he's at those IndyCar series races. So I think his, that is kind of where, you know, that's his first love, so to speak, uh, and NASCAR kind of takes the back seat. So um, with that, you know, I think we'll get close to wrapping up here. I know, uh, like I said, I began podcast talking, you know, whining about deer hunting and not being able to make it to the shack. You know, I think, uh, you know, by the time all of you are listening to this, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, you will all be deer hunting. I'm sorry to our Canadian friends. I'm not sure 
um, when or if uh, you guys get to do your deer hunting. So, um, but, you know, everyone be safe. Have a great time hunting. Have a great time at the shack. And anything, uh, any last thoughts, uh, Bert or Ryan? Well, good I, luck I guess- to you on your hunting. <laughs> well, I won't be hunting. I'll, I'll just be at the shack. Oh. I'll just be having a good time with the boys. Yeah. My you don't last, want a gun in my hands. My last thought is this. Please don't ever start out another podcast by saying I feel naked because I'm so <laughs> grateful that this is uh, this is audio, not video, because none of us want to see that. <laughs> this was not a live show. This was not a live show. <laughs> all right, fellas. You know, I appreciate you all, you know, joining me as always. And uh, like John B- Garabedian taught us, everyone out there, be your dream. And you're tuned in to the One to Go Show.